The Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast is sponsored by Beer Edge. I'm Andy Crouch, the co-founder of Beer Edge, along with my partner and your podcast host, John Hall. John and I work hard to bring you fresh and insightful content related to the ever-changing world of craft beer. We're passionate about beer and independent journalism. If you're interested in supporting Beer Edge, visit our website, beeredge.com, which is updated regularly with new content, interviews, and articles. Please also consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your episodes. You can also subscribe to the Beer Edge newsletter on our website. Is there anyone you think that we should be talking to? Please drop us a line at andy at beeredge.com with your thoughts. And as always, thanks for your support. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer. It's the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and on the phone this week is a member of the First Name Club. It's Tommy Arthur. How are you, Tommy? Well, you just blew it. You used my last name. <laughs> Great. Well, we're off to a fantastic <laughs> I mean, a start. Well, I'm yeah. going to get. Hold on. I'm going to get back to it in a second. But first, a reminder that this show is produced by Beer Edge. Check out beeredge.com for articles, podcasts, and more. And also, be sure to follow Beer Edge on all of your social media platforms. That includes Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Beer Edge. Tommy is part of the first name club, and I feel that he's been around for so long that he needs no introduction, but he really wants one. So Tommy is the the founder, the brewmaster, the brains behind the Lost Abbey, which is one of Southern California's great breweries, which has been around for uh, the better part of almost two decades now. I'm I'm if my math is correct, Tommy. 14 years on our 15th as we speak. So it's a brewery that has fundamentally shaped the course of American beer uh, through uh, your use of uh, wild microbes, uh, through your use of ingredients, through your use of innovation, dare I say. Uh, The Lost Abbey has been a gateway brewery uh, when people are ready to step up to the next level of craft beer in their lives it's not it's not necessarily the first beers uh that you have to to welcome yourself in but it is definitely the second or third steps as you become a better beer drinker you find tommy's beers you start drinking them you start enjoying them and you're the guy who 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 does all of this so thanks for being on the show well i apologize for being on the show (laughs) (laughs) i mean truth be told there's nobody else available so uh and you said yes Yes, I did. I, I, I'm still a glutton for punishment. I do, although I do have a beer in my hand, and it's only one. You know, it's only only middle of the day here, so I'm, I'm happy to happy to be drinking well, we, on your show. We we should be. So we're we're recording this about uh, I don't know a little less than eight hours before this goes live. We just found out that Eddie Van Halen died. Uh, the president has COVID. Uh, the stimulus package for uh, those who have been affected uh, by uh, the economic downturn related to this disease uh, is on hold now for the next couple of weeks. Uh, and that's certainly going to impact a lot of people in beer. So uh, drinking early, it's four o'clock on the East Coast right now. I'm drinking myself a, uh, a boat beer from Carton because it was fresh in my fridge. Um, how's your pandemic going, Tommy? It's been a hell of a year. I mean, I'm I'm glad that uh, there's only one pandemic in our lifetime we have to deal with. So, at least that's what I'm told, right? <laughs> for now, for now, unless like you don't survive this one. 
Well, I mean, there's something to be said for not surviving. At least you don't have to deal with the next one. I, I, I've been on the show. I've been going back and talking to a lot of folks about January, uh, which feels like a decade ago. But when this year started for you at the brewery, what did it look like? What what were the plans for the year before everything got interrupted? And I think the biggest thing when we turned the corner in the new year for us was that we had um, our new brand, Tiny Bubbles. I'd announced it in December um, at a conference, and I had sort of spoken to the fact that this was going to be a new, you know, authentic alternative, you know, in our universe, and it was going to define us, and it was going to be something we were going to put a lot of time and energy behind in 2020 um, we'd had the branding the beer produced and we were getting ready to really ramp up and this was going to be the year of, of tiny bubbles and just kind of us kind of not holistically reinventing ourselves but really looking at sour beer in a in a can in a smaller format um, you know not an oak age long-term process something that was a lot more available um, and readily easily you know, sort of pushed out the door and frankly, we were we were sort of, you know, we had we had a lot of energy and time focused on, on that being a big part of this year. And then what happened? Like, well, we, it, we know COVID it, happened, but like, yeah, they, but, but how, away, like, how does that actually away. interrupt like a rollout? Yeah, I mean, we were looking to we were looking to, to kind of launch that in March and we were going to be, you know, we were calling it the summer of, of Tiny and, and Brutus and Brutus is the mascot um, the, you know, behind the brand and. The, the whole premise for us was we were going to spend the entire summer um, sampling this beer every chance we got, you know, all kinds of beer festivals. And we were going to have a lot of fun with Brutus and he was going to be the personality. And he was really just going to light up, you know, kind of light up our universe. And, and, uh, and then, of course, the, then, of course, you the, yeah. light up go. my light. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in that age. So we're I was, uh, <laughs> was going to say it's uh, yeah. it's hard not to think of that song. And you're considerably different. older than I am, so I considerably. And I, I turn a year old. I, I turn a year older tomorrow, so well, the I've day that you. this releases, happy birthday! Thank you, I appreciate. I didn't that. know Facebook didn't tell me in advance. Not yet. So uh, or Jay know, Brooks's about, blog. Yeah, there you go, Jay Brooks. I judged with Jay last week, but uh, you know we we'll talk about, about judging in a second. We, yeah, yeah, we talked about being in the business a long time. Um, I got into this business at 23, and so I've officially been brewing or been in the brewing business half my life. Um, and as long as I get out of bed every day, it'll continue to be that way, right? So what's interesting, though, about Tiny Bubbles is there, there, there's like a cartoon character. It's based on like the Mr. Happy Book series or what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, something along those lines. I mean, he definitely he invokes that, that yeah. uh, sensibility. I, you got to forgive me here because like I remember, you know, years ago when I was a young, uh, impressionable teenager and enjoyed uh, cigarettes, uh, Joe Camel was around and then there's all these things of like well you can't have things that like market to kids um how how do you dance around that yeah i mean you know when when i saw the the initial you know sort of uh storyboards and stuff behind it i thought wow i know exactly what that looks like Mm -hmm. um but you know what was really funny to me was that i couldn't think of the guy's name who was the author and i couldn't think of the actual name of the series in fact it took me a lot of work to figure out how to google exactly what those books were i just called um, it mr happy guy but like it's yeah i think the i think the author's name is richard hargraves or something along those lines but i mean i was googling that's like, umbrella academy yeah. like single color single color small books kids i mean it took me a lot of effort to figure <laughs> out what those things were called yeah um so i don't know it's um you know there's there's something to be said for for the code of ethics and conduct relative to branding and marketing and things like that but i, I don't know i mean 
he he's cool looking, and I I think the kids could could find him to be fun. And but we just don't advertise, and we don't do that stuff. So, I mean, you know, I mean, we're not we're not on billboards. We're not you know, I mean, we're not yeah. going to have a car turning left every Sunday. So I think we're okay. You've branched out this year. So Tiny Bubbles, uh, the Lost Abbey has now also put out a Pilsner. Uh, the Lost Abbey uh, has uh, uh, diversified, as it were, in the last couple of years. You also have the THC, the Hop Concept. Uh, you have all of these other brands. Uh, Port is under your portfolio as well. Um, you have all these brands, but but the Lost Abbey itself has been putting out brands that are not necessarily what we thought of, you know, as Tommy beers, as Lost Abbey sure. beers. Was that something that obviously tiny bubbles came before COVID, but, but, but the rest of them that, that you've been releasing, has that been born out of COVID or is that just the way the industry is going? No, I mean, we have three tasting rooms now, so we're constantly kind of dinking around with things that the tasting room needs. Um, Steve, our head brewer really wanted to make um, the, the Pilsner you're referring to is called noble tendencies. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a Czech style Pilsner and he really wanted to do something uh, that was a little bit different, and we had a we've had a port pills in the past, and we've got a Hellas, and we've got things that are lager, and you know nobody knows that we really make them because they're just tasting room beers for the most part. Um, but of course, as a brewer, you want to hone your craft, and from time to time, you run into things like you know heirloom barleys and stuff that are really fun, um, but really don't have a place in other Lost Abbey things. And so, you know, for us, it was kind of just like let's take a stab at it. It's a really obviously it's a really great drinking beer to have around, and there's a reason that the Czech style beers are are you know really incredibly fun to drink i you saying take a stab at something though that doesn't like that sort of strikes me as somebody who is just kind of getting into the industry right now not necessarily somebody who is as established that they are a member of the first name club yeah but i mean i, I mean we we established that first name club on a lot of really esoteric shit so you know, maybe maybe coming back around and learning to uh, you know paint within the lines is, is part of the part of the the, the difficulty. Um, if if you had to go back and pinpoint the esoteric shit, the beer that made your bones, what would you say it is? Um, or what would you, you know, hope the, it is? Yeah, I there was a lot of saison kind of stuff that we were doing and playing around with, but. Back when I was at Pizza Port and then it transitioned to here, we have a beer called uh, Ten Commandments, and it was formerly known as SPF8 when I was in Solana Beach. But uh, we wanted to produce a dark saison, and that was a very unique process because um, we had been drinking a lot of different phantoms and really looking at how many different ways you can make things dark. Um, and that beer ended up having caramelized raisins in it, um, which at the time was sort of a very odd way to go about building color. Um, but we got smoke and we got all kinds of, you know, unique attributes from going down that path. But, uh, you know, I just remember standing up in front of people in a room and saying, you know, not only do we make beers with raisins and then this is the one that has the caramelized raisins and then trying to explain what the hell a caramelized raisin was and why we would do it and altering chemical sugars and stuff like that. It was kind of a, you know, it's very technique heavy. You're 23 years into it now, though. If you were starting a brewery again right now what do you think you'd be doing like with with 23 years of knowledge like yeah. would it be different from what you did back then would would you have to give in to the industry pressures 
it's it's definitely something I've talked about um, sort of ad nauseum amongst friends. And that's kind of like if I had to write a business plan today, what would it look like and how many lines would I have to, you know, which lines in the sand would I have to sort of get too close to or maybe I didn't want to do. Um, you know, it was pretty it was pretty rad having so much white space with respect to the artistic, you know, the artistic sort of you know pathway um, versus so many people being sort of forced today. Um, to go down, you know, go down, you know, alleys that they maybe don't want to go down um, just in order to pay the bills. So, you know, the guess the question is, is, is it better to be an old, old school brewer that had to, you know, kind of pave the roads for people or you know, ourselves um, versus being a new school brewer where the roads have been paved, but you're kind of forced to travel the same path that many people do. I, what would you prefer? Like where well, you are right now? I mean, I mean that I I'm I struggle with the today part because I don't like doing what everybody's doing. But at the same time, you know, we're a much bigger company and we have obviously have much different bills to pay than we used to. Um, I like freedom. I'm a big proponent of controlling your own destiny. I'm a big fan of um, what you know what amounts to be available perspective. You know, like if you think you can pull it off, then you should go for it. But uh, you know, there's there's a lot of copycat and a lot of stuff that's already been done going on. I'm not sure, you know, and I think that was part of the, my, my, the reason for my talk was how are we going to get back to a, a level of real innovation and where is that going to come from? So you won the Russell Shear Award for innovation a couple of years ago at the Brewers Association, I think when we were in Nashville, right? Yeah, that um, didn't suck, by the way. That was a really cool thing. It was a great, it, 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 it's a well-deserved award, but it was also a very cool year to be down there. And when you're talking about now, this is going to be my next question. Uh, brewers being on a road uh, that somebody else has paved for them. When do you just grab the wheel and just jerk left or jerk right and just start to drive off the road? You know, like when do you start to go off roading? I think I'm. I think I'm getting there. I think I'm, I'm. I think I'm reaching a boiling point where I'm like, man, all we're making is the same kinds of beers that a lot of other people are, and it's it's causing a you know it's definitely causing consternation and my my soul searching in terms of you know i want to keep doing this but i don't want to keep doing the same thing so we're gonna have to find new ways to 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 you know get off that path and and go back you know the jungle you're beating the beating down the, the trees in the jungle and clearing the forest there's been seltzer is obviously in the beer world now we've seen the definition from the brewers association change of you know a craft beverage uh you know it's it, it's not just uh beer anymore you can be a cidery you can have spirits you can have all sorts of other things under your uh un, under your purview um and you're looking at tea yeah i've i've been threatening to work on a tea project for a long time and it's always funny because my initials actually are tea um so i <laughs> I, I, I am getting super close to being um, very aggressive with this as we move forward. I think I think that, that alternative beverages are going to be a part of portfolios. And this tea project for us is something that I wanted to do. I wanted to have a, a hard tea that was dry hopped and had a little bit of a, a real sort of not a not a pure beer edge necessarily, but had some some complimentary notes. So we've been producing uh, red tea that's agave based. So about 5% alcohol, about 120 calories and almost no carbs. Um, and it, and it looks bright red. It's got hibiscus and orange and lemongrass in it. Um, people are really enjoying it at the tasting rooms and we've got a black chai tea in the tanks currently. Um, and, and there's a few more things that are in the, 
in the what I would say is the innovation pipeline, which is mostly my head, um, that I'm going to try to get put together before the end of the year. But in the scheme of things, we have four brands in-house currently, as you mentioned, Port, Lost Abbey, THC, and now Tiny Bubbles. Um, but there's a fifth brand that's, that's on the horizon and we're getting ready to kind of talk about at a higher level. I'm curious as to like where your brain goes, right? Because you have brewers, you have marketers, you have, uh, you do have staff that, you know, that, that works on all of these. Um, you're still a lot the, you know, the creative lead. Yeah. How how do you divide up your brain, you know, in work time to, you know, give all of these different avenues the time that they need? Well, I, I definitely suck at the management part of this job and, and I'm, and I am in charge of the, I am the chief in charge of guy, right? So uh, hopefully we've got great marketing and brewing and production and all that stuff. And, and I do think that our team is really, really well put together. Um, you know, the hardest part, frankly, in the last couple of years has just been the, 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 the way the industry is behaving and just, you know, having to make a lot of financial decisions um, that we didn't used to have. And those are, those are the parts of the day that make it really difficult to sit down and let the creative pieces flow. Um, I typically have a beer or two before I head home to decompress um, after the day and just kind of watch what's going on at work. And then it's interesting because my drive home is only about 15 minutes, but the amount of, I guess, freedom that I give myself in the car, that 15 minutes is really impressive how many things I can kind of just, you know, almost after a full day of, of dealing with all the other stuff that, you know, that, that 15 minutes is where some of the most interesting stuff happens in my world. That's a hard thing, I think, for a lot of people to, you know, get into these days. I've been I, I've been talking with folks about, you know, unplugging, you know, especially during COVID. You know, people are spending either more time at home or more time at the office, or, you know, uh, especially in the hospitality industry, uh, folks have been need to let go, and 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 there's a lot of stress of businesses for the people who still remain. Um, sitting down and sort of just having fifteen minutes to yourself. Did, did you have that beforehand? Have, have you always had that before COVID or before? Yeah. yeah I, I mean, definitely the, I mean, I don't have it here. Like when I'm here, it's, you know, we have kind of an op- open office floor plan and um, for the most part, it's, you know, kind of walk in, walk out. And there's not really, you know, I don't have a desk up in the you know back corner of the, you know, three stories up in the office where you can't reach it. So, um, you know, for me, it's, it's just a function of, I often come to work and feel like I don't get anything done, but me getting something done is different than the company getting something done. So I, I have to remind myself that in the past, getting something done was hooking hoses up to tanks and transferring beers and doing stuff and, you know, measurable, measurable moments. You know, I, I, I kegged XYZ, I transferred this, I brewed that, uh, you know, a measurable moment in a, in a, in a sort of a setting today is very different. And, and a lot of times it doesn't come with the same satisfaction of actually completing anything. You're also not traveling all that much right now as well. Um, you know, I'd see you out on the road a couple of times a year and uh, even when I was there. And, you know, I, I think when you get to the level of, of brewer that you are, at least, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in my mind, and I think the mind of a lot of fans, um, you spend a lot of time giving lectures and, you know, traveling around the world and judging beer and doing all sorts of stuff. Um, has being grounded closer to home helped the brewery in the long run do you think 
I don't know. It's a great question. And uh, I appreciate you asking it. Um, you know, the last travel, the last travel that I did was in February and I was, and this, this was actually supposed to be a pretty, a pretty robust travel season for me in this, this summer. I was going yeah, to be me too. And, yeah. 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 So there was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, anticipation about getting out and seeing some new things. And I got to travel to Costa Rica and uh, Panama um, right before COVID hit. And that was a really cool trip. Um, just, you know, to just to see the infectious enthusiasm, oh great word, great use of the word infectious. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's too soon. Yeah, it is. I would say that we'd bleep it out, but like we don't have yeah. post-production here. So, yeah, that's fine. It's fine. We'll let it roll. Uh, you know, the enthusiasm <laughs> in South America was, was really or in Central America was really cool. Um, and I was in South America last last summer as well. So, um, you know, I I really enjoy traveling and I enjoy traveling for the right reasons. And that is, is that. You know, I, I, I grew up basically studying English to be a teacher. I wanted to educate people and I get to go out on the road and do that. And I get to be passionate about beer. And it's a it's a really cool avenue to sort of, you know, let let all that information just kind of come flying back out. And I think that's one of the things that people really do appreciate when I travel is just that I'm very honest and I give I give a lot of cool you know t- tidbits about having been around for a long time. This is not a this is not a fly by the night kind of thing you know, doing it this long. Is there honesty in the beer industry these days? Honesty? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's honesty in tragedy, though. I think there's a lot of people that are forgetting what, you know, what what this is about. And that is, you know, we're supposed to be having fun. And, and of course, we're, we're redefining the industry. And there's all these new movements and definitions and chasms with, you know, purchases and buyouts. And this, uh, you know, it, it's the best of times and the worst of times. And at the same, you know, at the same moment. There's still so much opportunity. Um, maybe there's more honesty today than there was in January. You, know, you asked about that. Um, you know, maybe everybody's having to look in the mirror and say, you know, am I going to make it? Not, of course, I'm going to make it. And if I'm going to make it, what am I going to make it on? You were just out in Denver, um, or I guess you were in Colorado, right? It wasn't actually Denver yeah. proper. It was actually in Louisville, which is a, a suburb of, of Boulder. Uh, for Great American Beer Festival judging, and yeah. you you've been a judge for, gosh, years. yeah. What was it like this year? It was fantastic. First and foremost, I want I really want to I, I don't want to overstate it, but it just felt good to be doing something that you know historically happens at this time of the year, and and I enjoy judging beer, uh, specifically within the the confines of the World Beer Cup and the and the, the Brewers Association, the GABF. I really like formatting and i like the people that do it and the, the volunteers and all of that so uh it just felt good and I, I mean it's a it's a true warm and fuzzy um you know to to spend some time with people that you enjoy uh it almost felt like the process slowed down this time because we were we judged over six days versus three days and it just it, it had a it had the same collegialness to it but but really it just felt better six days though that's like well, yeah, they judged for more than six days. That's that's what I that's what I put in for. So I was there from uh, Tuesday through Saturday, um, you know, morning and afternoon sessions, and uh, the BA did a fantastic job of of dealing with a lot of the 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 methodology for you know providing a safe environment for judging the beers. Um, I believe that the beers were judged in a, in a in a very familiar pattern in terms of you know this is what we're used to doing and seeing and talking and analytic you know and analyzing these beers 
Um, I believe that the awards will will bear that out. I think that people will be very pleased with the results. But the BA spent almost three weeks judging beer, um, trying to make sure that they could get it all in. And as far as like, but everybody, you can't have masks, you can't have PP on while you're tasting, but like, you know, before and so after. We did and every, actually. Yeah. So we, yeah. So when we would show up, uh, when we would show up to the compound in the morning, we would be, uh, they would take our, our temperature just to confirm that we were obviously good to go. Uh, at that point, we were handed a, a face shield as well as a mask, um, which was ours for the week. And while we were moving through the areas, we were forced to wear both the face shield and the masks. And then once we were seated and had beers in front of us, we were able to remove our our masks, but the face shields were um, remained on so that we had an, a physical barrier between the judges as well. That's interesting. Did, yeah. I, how did that impact you as a judge, if at all? Uh, I think a lot of people, you know, it's, it's always weird because you try to take a take a glass to your mouth and you got to go past the shield and come up underneath it. But yeah. it was funny. I, I, I stopped referring to it as a shield and I started referring to it as an aroma cone um, <laughs> because because so much of the aroma was being trapped behind the behind the behind the face shield, which was pretty interesting. Uh, I don't know if it'll change any of it. I just I did think, you know, at one point I was sitting there and I'm like, you know, this is quite, in, you know, quite, quite different than what we're used to and i wonder how it how it 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 you know plays out how do you I, do you think it made you a better taster if you're talking about it as an aroma cone like we're because we're, i have yeah, I, I, I haven't tasted with like a face shield on yeah, so i'm, I, I'm I really, trying to I, I can't speak to whether it did any think about tasting and sometimes you can be you know, you can you can go to take a sip and something will pop into your head, but you were so focused on the mechanism of getting the beer from the table to the to your to your mouth and back without spilling and doing all this stuff that, um, you know, it became very rote. Like there was this real strong sense of pick beer up, tip under, up over, you know, kind of thing. And and uh, I, I don't know. I feel like maybe it made for a, a a very focused aroma session. That's so interesting. When you travel and when you, you know, taste new beers, um, I'm often curious about how brewers approach uh, new ingredients, uh, things that are new to them and how mm -hmm. their brain works as to uh, if they want to incorporate something into a beer, how they might incorporate something into a beer. Um, that's, that's a great question. Yeah. So so I will tell you this. This is there's two 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 very temporal things because they happened in the last week. Um, I was judging non-alcoholic beers at the competition, and uh, a beer hit the table. Is that a new category? No, they've always had non-alc, but um, this is now, I think, going to become a much larger category. Yeah. It's weird. Back back in the day, it was a big category. It might have gone away for a while, and then, you know, because only the big guys were making it, and then there was a point where it was like, yeah, we don't need to judge that and give, give awards for things that, you know, craft people don't drink, but now all of a sudden, it is a thing. So, um, I, I don't know. We, we, It'd be really interesting to look and see at what point it went away, or I'm I'm confident it went away at some point. And it has come back. Okay. But but I did have a I did have a hazy, non-alcoholic IPA um, that really kind of stopped me in my tracks. Only in so much as I hadn't really even considered that someone would do that, for one. Because you um, know it's non-alcoholic when you're going into it, right? You're not just like judging hazy IPAs and then they say afterwards no, no, it's like, not, aha, yeah, it was, it's non-alcoholic. Yeah. No, it was not pull the blindfold off and be like, here's the Pepsi challenge. No, this was. <laughs> literally non-alcoholic category so you knew as it was sitting on the table you know less than 0.5 percent and you know you're kind of going down the line and i had i had a pale ale i had a brown ale i had like i had all kinds of different things you know like from from classic stuff to to that and i just 
I, I guess it made sense to me that, that you could have this, but you know, hoppy beer that's not alcoholic doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, pop up on your radar that often. And it was just cool to see it. Uh, and, and that, that, that was an aha moment just in the scheme of things, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think I'm going to get out of bed any day, any day soon and think I need to be in the non-alcoholic space. But that being said, I'm pretty sure that at some point there's going to be enough of them that I will have a favorite one. And, uh, and that was cool. Uh, and then beyond that, there was another, uh, I judged, a. I don't remember the category, but I judged another category and there was a sage beer and, um, and I, I have not ever really worked with sage, but every time I have sage beers, I always think, boy, those are very, fun and interesting at least aromatically and on a flavor level they just they're they're damn interesting and so yeah. um something along those lines would absolutely spark my head to be like cool we've never done it what could we do with it and where would it fit um so yeah things like that are important in, in the landscape so i gotta ask you this because i, I I'm, I'm if you're you just had a cool non-alcoholic beer and the category we're certainly seeing is uh, is growing. I mean, it's minuscule in the U.S. right now, but in in the U.K. it's uh, and in Europe it's 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 growing by a by a pretty strong amount. At what point, when you're talking about innovation and sort of turning off the road and forging your own path, or you know, hacking through the jungle? Um, do you say, okay, I'm going to get into this before everybody else does, because? Two years ago, I was talking to to brewers and saying, "Well, if you're not thinking about hard seltzer right now, you should be." And I thought, and I think that that was probably the right time to be saying that. But I wouldn't say to a brewery these days, "Oh yeah, you should totally get into hard seltzer because it's so crowded right now and everybody's trying to 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 get into the marketplace." You know, but what you're doing with tea strikes me as, you know, it it's still unexplored space. You know, there's maybe you know one or two or three, you know, big tea makers that are out there, but those are more sugar water than I think what you're trying to do when it comes to like non-alcoholic, is it better to be first or is it better to just be better? I mean, I think that the biggest challenge is, is that there's plenty of room in it, but the question is, is, is like, what are you going to do with it? Like if um, we've got the guys here in San Diego that are, it's athletic brewing company and, and they, um, they're making also of Stratford, beer. Connecticut, but yeah, yes, yes. Um, I like that you're going to San Diego. They've been there for maybe about seven and a half minutes, but yeah, I know, but, but they're the only non-alcoholic brewery in town. So, you know, at this point, um, who's, whose space a, did they take over? They, they, ballast, one of the, one of the ballast places. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so for us, I think like I, it, it could be fun to be in the non-alcoholic category and to make things that were very beer like and super technically proficient and had a lot of um you know had a lot of challenges associated with them uh i don't know what the barrier in terms of cost is to go down the path of having the equipment to pull all that off uh, it clearly it belongs in the realm right now of big money i mean those guys that's not a small small brewing company by dollars you know they've got a lot oh, of yeah. a lot of r&d money behind it and stuff like that so i don't see it being um super uh prohibitive to get involved in that yet because there's just not enough of the technology that's easily uh you know know, assimilated into what we have um but i did think it was just interesting to sit down and look at beer from that angle and and uh you know it feels like it's always going to be a big big guy thing um but clearly there's room for some small players in it but 
if it ever truly takes off, you know, in this country, then the big guys are going to stomp all over it because they've got such a running head start. Yeah. How much do you still worry about big versus little? The lines have been blurred in the last couple of years, but. I don't know. I don't know that I ever really have. It's, it's, I guess it's part of my makeup is that we've never really competed with big. Um, and a lot of that, I think, you know, if you think about the Abbey style beers that we've made over the years, it's really never been about, you know, the Abbey beers sitting next to Bud Light on the shelf. It's just, that's just, just such a strange, you know, mechanism. But for us, I think big, big is big. And, and now it's more about like, what, what do you have access to and what, you know, what is it, what do you need? And, and I think that, for us, maybe being a smaller brewery is always going to be important. Um, you know, we, we might have missed the window to scale this thing to a point. And, and maybe that's a, not a bad thing. You know, like, hey, we're going to be a much smaller brewery than you ever think we are. I think most people are shocked to see how big our brewing space is. You know, we always tell people we're a little brewery with a big reputation, and they think that we're a big brewery. when We're really not. Um, so, Can you quantify you know, that, like, barrel-wise? I mean, we might make 10,000 barrels of beer this year, and, and that's down from a few years ago where we made 15, um, you know, but at, at 15,000 barrels, I think we were in the top 150 in the country at that point or something. I mean, there weren't, there weren't a lot of breweries that were 15,000 barrels, and certainly there were a lot of, you know, there weren't a lot of breweries that were 100,000 at that point either. So, uh, you know, we, we were a larger brewery in, in scope, but at the same time, being a 10,000 barrel brewery right now probably puts us in the, you know, 500s or something. I don't even know. I don't even pay attention. Yeah. Frankly. Um, but you know, it's really about, it's not about how big of a brewery you're running. It's about what, what can you do with the, with the equipment you have and what do you want to be? Right. Um, and, and right now we're kind of being forced to be a little bit more of a, a commodity brewery until, until this stuff settles down and, and people figure out where we're at. We're making a lot of, you know, we're making a lot of six pack and four pack beer right now to pay the bills. Were there core beers? Were there, Lost Abbey beers uh, that surprised you with volume being moved in the early part of COVID? No, because we're, I mean, the Abbey brands, I mean, other than our farmhouse lager and our devotion, mm-hmm. uh, which are the only two beers that we put in, in glass and in six pack um, glass six packs at this point, uh, you know, they don't have a lot of grocery replacements, I mean, yeah. frankly, almost none. So there wasn't an appreciable, you know, really, you know, giant swing. Um, you know, we did see a little bit of an uptick as people were buying, you know, packaged beer from us to go home. And a lot of people were buying six packs of those, um, you know, to enjoy a couple per night sort of thing. But, uh, we definitely, you know, the Abbey brand has been impacted by more than anything, the lack of people buying single bottles anymore. And that's something we're going to have to sort of meter out and figure out as we move into 2021 and beyond, which is, you know, what is, what does the Abbey brand look like and where is it supposed to be? Makes sense. When we get out of this, if we get out of this, but hopefully yeah, let's, when... let's go with if, right? yeah, let's, let's start with if, although I love the enthusiasm for when <laughs> it's hard to have enthusiasm these it's days, positive but... more than negative. Right? Yeah. It's well, you know, it's, with... it's what I'm known for. Um, what do you want to do? Uh, what do I want to do when we get out of this? Um, I want to celebrate. I think for one that we definitely, you know, nobody had this on their bingo card. Um, and I feel like there's going to be a lot of things that we learned. Um, I hope that people are a little bit more compassionate than we were beforehand. Um, you know, we're going to have to explain to the generation behind us and behind them, um, the damage that was done for, for everyone. I mean, this is, yeah. Sorry this about is, that. Yeah. 
no, we're, we're going to be paying for this for a long time. Um, and how, how that behaves and what that means to my daughters and family and people, it's a big deal. But, um, you know, you, you, you basically said if, and when, and, and we're still in an if, when function here. We are hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and frankly, on a business level, we're not out of it yet. Um, so, you know, every day is, a is, is don't, don't become a, what, you know, what was, but at the same time, nothing's, nothing's given. And, uh, you know, we have to keep earning it. And I, you know, I, I, I don't, I guess for me that the scary part is, is I don't think we've seen the level of closings that were forecasted. And I still think that there's a lot of closings that could come out of this. And, and I feel like there's some, some pretty key players that aren't going to make it as well. I think we're, we're getting to that. Um, unfortunately I want to end on a, uh, a more positive note. Um, let's remember Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm sorry that he's passed away, but I think his music has brought so much joy and so much uh, uh, fun to, to everybody. And uh, before we started recording, I got on the phone with you. We started talking about it, and um, his music speaks to you. Yeah, and I think it's crazy. Like when you when you start to, I mean, two hundred ten thousand people have died this year of a disease, like or you know, of, of a of a of curable thing. But at the same time, it's like. We've also lost a lot of really other good people with, you know, totally, totally outside of that. And I know that's normal, um, but, you know, like you want to you want to talk about things that are up, uplifting, like my Padres are going to play in a playoff game tonight. You know, like things are things are OK in baseball land, you know, at least we're playing baseball. So, yeah, you know, drink some beer and uh, enjoy that. But uh, and we man, should it sucks to lose sucks to lose a great one. Yeah, and we should also talk about uh, Mike McDowell, who we lost this week. Tasty. Yeah, uh, Tasty just... over the weekend, too. What a what a what a wonderful human being he was, and uh, a great home brewer, and a great part of the brewing network, and um, yeah. you know, guy we all enjoyed hanging out with uh, when 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 we could. Um, it is it is one of those things, man. You, you know, each day is, is worth savoring, and, and every day is worth uh, appreciating. But it doesn't make it easy when you get out of bed and the same shit happens every other day. But uh, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, there is beer at the end of the day. It still tastes really damn good, and and uh, for that we should be thankful. Well, let's uh, let's go do that. Um, Tommy, thanks for being on the show. You know, I appreciate it as always, John. Thanks. Before we go, I'm going to remind everybody to tune in to Steal This Beer with new episodes every Monday and to the BYO Nano podcast, which comes out on the 15th of every month. And, of course, check out Andy Crouch on the Beer Edge podcast uh, with new episodes every week. Nate Schwarber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed the logo. New episodes of this show release every Wednesday. And Tommy, thanks again. Yeah. Can't wait to be back as we decide to. Well, when I do, uh, we'll drink beer and we'll think beer.